You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Isn't that song the, the prayer of every Christian parent? That our kids will follow God their whole life long. Everything in that song is, is my prayer for my kids, and I trust it's the same for yours. And it's also a great song for the book of Ephesians that we've been going through, because we've been hearing Paul praying for us, the church, in a very pastoral and kind of a parental kind of a way, praying that our faith will be strengthened and praying that we will have the eyes of our heart open, that we can see the Lord uh, and our faith can grow and that we can see how deep and how far and how wide his love is for us. Um, thank you, Wendy, for, for singing that. It's a great song. Um, there's some new faces here today. Uh, I hope that you all feel welcome. Let's just take a moment, just stand and say hi to some people around you, shake some hands and make sure that everybody feels welcome here today. You know, preaching is a interesting thing to me. It's something that I really like and it's something that I really hate. And what I, what I hate about it is that I do it so seldom that I, I preach for weddings and funerals mostly these days and also uh, I've preached in India when we were on our missions trip and a few times here as well. But seldom enough still that when I'm preparing to preach, I think there's some extra effort that it still requires to figure out how it is I'm going to say something or how I'm going to flow everything together or present it so that my ideas come across well. Um, But what I love about it, what I love about preaching is that just like you know when you have to teach somebody something, you have to learn it. And you have to to internalize it so that you can present it. And and this morning I am here bursting with Ephesians 4 verse 7 to 13. I'm super excited about this passage. In some ways, I think Paul's been ramping up to this passage the whole time so far. He's been saying a lot of things, a lot of truths that we have to know in order to understand what he's saying in this passage. Um, So I'm excited, and my prayer is that, however I present this this morning, that by the end of it, you might be excited about Ephesians 4, verse 7 to 13. And if you're not, then come talk to me. I'm just going to say more stuff, because this is, it's it's, it's an important passage. Uh, Last week, Terry, in his, his sermon, he used the word axiom. And an axiom is something that is beyond dispute. It just... It just is. You, you, don't, you, don't, uh, you don't argue with it because we all know that it's true. And an axiom, something that we can accept today as an axiom, is that God is going to be glorified. Everything that God created, everything that God does, is for his glory. You can take that to the bank. God is going to glorify himself. That is an axiom that we can accept as an axiom. And uh, it's, that's simple enough, but I think that we have a narrow view of that. And today's passage points it out again. We have a narrow view of what it is for God to be glorified through us. I think oftentimes we talk about God working in our lives individually so that we can honor him more as our lives individually. And that's not wrong. Romans 12 says that we are to use our bodies as a sacrifice. We're to sacrifice ourselves, our lives, so that we can worship him with our life. That is our act of, act of worship in Romans 12. And in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, it talks about our, our lives are like a whole, our, our, our body is a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body is, is for the worship of, of Christ. So that is totally true. That is totally biblical. Uh, at the same time, in the passages that we can see so far in Ephesians and in today's passage as well, we learn that there's something bigger than that. God is doing something bigger than that. He's building something bigger than that to worship himself, more than just me and more than just you. He has created the body of Christ, 
and the body of Christ together, all of us together, that is what God is building into a holy temple. And we saw that in chapter 2, that he is building a holy temple uh, so that he would be honored by us together as one. And we can look back to Ephesians chapter 1 and all the way through. In Ephesians 1, we read, In him we were chosen, in order that we might be the praise of his glory. He's always referring to his, his readers in the plural. He's always talking about the church. Uh, he also says in chapter 2, We were by nature an object of God's wrath, but because of his great love for us, God made us alive in Christ. And further on in chapter 2, he says, Consequently, you... And now he's using the... Remember from last week, the all y'all that Terry was saying? Uh, this is the all y'all. He's saying, God, God has, is making you... You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So it's completely biblical and completely appropriate to say, that I am a temple of, of the Holy Spirit and you are a temple of the Holy Spirit if you are a believer. But it is also completely biblical and completely appropriate to say that we together have received the Holy Spirit and we together are being made into something together uh, to give God honor. And that's what we've been learning in Ephesians so far, that God reconciled a people to himself through his son Jesus Christ uh, totally something we couldn't have done on ourselves, but he provided a way for us to know Christ and to, to know him forever. He reconciled himself a people, and then he reconciled a people to each other. He reconciled us to each other so that we might honor him together as a collective group. And what we're going to see today is that Christ has given us individual gifts through the Holy Spirit, individually and uniquely, so that we can use those gifts to build up the body of Christ that God has created for his glory so that we can honor him better together. And that's, that's really all of this uh, is, is what this passage is about. So I'm going to read the passage. I invite you to, to stand. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says... When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to prepare his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So again, until this point in Ephesians, Paul's been referring to people in the plural. He's been referring to all those who have been saved by grace as a people in the plural. Uh, Even in the last verse before this passage, last last week Terry preached on the previous passage, and verse 6, right before we get into this passage, talks about God being the God and Father over all. But all of a sudden now in verse 7, something's changed. The language has changed, and it's gone from all to each. It's gone from the group to individuals. And it says, 
To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Each one of us, individually. And the Greek word here translated as grace is the word charis, which is the root of the word charismata. And we get uh, uh, charisma from that word. We get charismatic from that word. And Paul uses that word lots of other times. And he often uses that word to talk about spiritual gifts. So we can, we can see that, and we can see that, that, that he's, when he's talking about each one of us has been given a grace, we've each one been given gifts. And even when we look ahead in the passage, we can see that he's going to be referring to, to spiritual gifts. So we, we know that in that sentence, he's talking about grace given to us. And in that grace, uh, we've been given gifts um, by the Spirit of God. And before he gets talking about those gifts, Paul wants to make a couple things really, really clear. Um, and he wants us to know, first of all, that... Gifts are from, from Christ. We've received spiritual gifts from Christ. And he does the same thing that we do when we want to get a really important truth across. If I'm leading worship and I want to say something to you, my church family, and get something across to you, I'm going to want to back it up with Scripture. And that's what Paul does here. He quotes Scripture. He quotes Psalm 68. And that's in verse 8. He's quoting from Psalm 68 almost directly. And when he says, When he ascended on high... He took many captives and gave gifts to his people. This is a, a psalm of David. David wrote this, and David's writing about God coming down from Mount Sinai and coming down as a conqueror and as a rescuer, and then having conquered, returning to Mount Sinai uh, in victory with all of his captives uh, in his train. And Paul is really obviously connecting that passage to Jesus Christ. And he, he in case... In case we didn't see that in his quote, he goes on to explain it further uh, in verse, verse 9 when he says, What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. You see, Paul, he wants us to understand that this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He wants us to make that connection, to connect the dots, knowing that it was Jesus who came down from heaven. It was Jesus who descended into our earthly existence. And he even, des- he even descended further. He descended into humiliation on the cross, uh, death for our sins. And then having conquered sin and having conquered death, he returned to the Father in heaven. And then it says this, this bit about he returned to, his, to the Father in heaven and gave gifts. And I think that's what Paul wants us to, to kind of focus on. He wants us to, to recognize it's talking about Christ but then he wants us to focus so that Jesus went back to heaven and then we received gifts. And the gift that the readers of this letter were to connect the dots to and also that we are to connect the dots to is the Holy Spirit because Christ returned to the Father and then he gave the Holy Spirit to his followers. And he wants to make that very clear because everything that follows this sentence uh, in this passage hinges on us understanding that, that Christ has given us gifts, and it's the Holy Spirit who, who has empowered us. Um, and this, all of this so far has been Paul's intro. This is the, the introduction, and now we get into the meat of it. Uh, and the meat of this passage is just one sentence. It's this sentence, and I'm going to read it for you again. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to prepare his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If I would have written that as one sentence in any paper I've ever written in any school, 
I would, there'd be X's all over it because it's this super long sentence. But, but there's a lot of stuff in here. There's a lot of really important things. And if we look at that sentence really close, we can see that it's a step-by-step. It's a step-by-step progression reaching toward a goal. So step one, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Step two, to prepare his people for works of service. Step three, so that the body of Christ may be built up until the goal, until all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what we're going to do this morning uh, is take that sentence just one step at a time and unpack that because there's a ton of stuff there. And we'll start with step one. Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. What we have here is a list of spiritual gifts. Now there's lists like that elsewhere in Scripture. There's, there's a good long list in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, there's nine gifts listed there, and there's seven gifts listed in Romans chapter 12. Uh, this list is different than those. This list has some of the same gifts, um, but it's a shorter list. And if we look really closely, uh, we can see that this list, the gifts that he's chosen to talk about here, all have something in common. Uh, they all have to do with sharing or teaching of the Word of God. Um, in one way or another. The first two, the apostles and the prophets. Now, we've already seen in chapter 2, he talked about the apostles and the prophets. He talked about how God is, is building up this temple, which is us, where he's building up this temple, and it's laid on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, the apostles were people who had direct contact with Jesus. His disciples were apostles. Paul uh, can be an apostle because he, he, he met up with Jesus on the road to Damascus. So, through either directly or indirectly, those apostles um, have, have written uh, for us, inspired by God, the word of God. And a prophet, a prophet is, is anybody who is speaking on God's behalf. And so in, in, this, in this passage, in the context of this passage, he's talking about prophets um, having been, or having speaking on God's behalf in, in writing down what we have is the word of God. So the apostles and the prophets are where we get the word of God from. And then he goes to evangelists. That's the next gift. An evangelist is one who proclaims the word of God. Um, it's interesting to me that this is, this is listed as a gift because we know from lots of other places in Scripture that all of us are evangelists. That all of us have been, have been commanded uh, to share the gospel with other people. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Uh, and Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he says, don't keep the light under a bushel. Remember, uh, this, this is something that we are to be a beacon about. Uh, so all of us are evangelists, but here it's mentioned as a special gift. And perhaps this means somebody who has a special, a special ability to unpack the gospel and to explain the gospel to many. Um, I was at a funeral last week. I was at, uh, at George Giesbrecht's brother's funeral, uh, Ed. And the pastor... Uh, did a message. It was in Selkirk. The pastor of that church uh, gave a message that was an amazing presentation of the gospel. Uh, he started in John 3.16, and he went back to Genesis chapter 3, and then he went all the way back through to, to, uh, to the cross uh, through the Old Testament again. And, and uh, it was just a really simple explanation of the gospel to anybody who didn't know it. And uh, as soon as he finished, the person who was sitting beside me leaned over and said, he could be an evangelist. And uh, I, think, I think so. I, I think that that is certainly a gift that God gives, and that's how it's presented here as well. 
Next, Paul mentions pastors and teachers. And as you can see here, it's their group together, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And, and I, I, I think we can take from that that they're, that they're meant to be grouped together as, a, as one thing, which makes sense to me. I, I think that, that uh, pastors, uh, in the biblical view of a pastor is that of a shepherd, somebody who feeds the sheep, somebody who cares for the sheep, somebody who protects the sheep. Uh, and feeding the sheep is all about, is all about the word of God. Um, so pastoring and teaching uh, is, is, a, is something that, that fits together in this context. And I think it should be noted that, that this is referring not just to people who have the word pastor in front of their name. There is a, a long list of people, I think, in this room right now who, who I could say, I believe, have been gifted with a pastoral heart, who've been gifted with an, a special ability to, uh, to teach the word of God and explain, explain the word of God. So that's, that's step one. That's step one of this sentence. God has given his word to us and has especially gifted certain people in presenting and teaching that word. Uh, today's Mother's Day. Um, and my mom's not here today, but she's my mom, so I know she'll be listening to this online because she's my mom. Um, and I'm going to do a little shout-out to my mom on Mother's Day by using an analogy that, uh, that's going to fit with her. She, she loves water. My mom, uh, she likes to go vacationing in any place where there's water. It doesn't matter if it's the ocean or if it's a lake or if it's a river or waterfall or whatever. Water relaxes her, and uh, that's her, uh, her happy place, I guess. And, and uh, so in honor of my mom, I'm going to use an illustration of a pond. Uh, you can just picture a calm pond, and then you throw a stone in the middle of it, and you get something that looks a little bit like this picture here. Um, where, where there's ripples coming out from, from the middle and filling up the entire, the entire pond. And so in this, in this illustration, the, 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 the word of God is a stone, and it gets dropped in the middle. And the first ripples out are people who are gifted by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who are gifted at, at explaining the word especially, and unpacking the word. And then the next ripples, well, that's us. That's everybody. Um, we are hearing the word of God and being changed by it. That's, that's step two. So step two is to prepare his people for works of service. And the first thing that I want to point out about step two is simply that it's there. Um, Paul doesn't just skip from step one to step three. He doesn't just say, so God provided pastors and leaders to teach the word so that the body of Christ may be built up. That sounds kind of right, but that's not what he says. Uh, in some churches, I think that's, that's actually how things function. I think it's assumed in some churches that the pastor is the front line of ministry, and people just show up and get ministered to, and then they, then they go home. Uh, kind of this idea of a bus, and the pastor is driving the bus, and everybody else is riding the bus, or sleeping while the pastor drives them to, to heaven, or whatever. And, and that's, that's, that's really kind of messed up. Um, that's, that's not how ministry functions in this church, and thank goodness, because... There's two things wrong. There's a number of things wrong with that. But for one thing, you know that in a church like that, as soon as the pastor retires or the pastor dies or moves away, the church is in big trouble because everything has been based on the ministry of one person. Um, but also, much even more deep than that, is God didn't design church like that. That's not how God designed the body of Christ to function. And as we see in this passage, God has designed things in such a way that the leaders... Who, the leaders are gifted in the word to prepare his people for works of service. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers prepare the people of the church so that we all will do the work of the ministry. 
All of us are the front lines of the ministry. All of us. And we together are the next ripple in that, in that pond. Um, it says in verse 12 that we're being prepared. What are we being prepared for? In this passage, the word prepare is translated from the Greek word katardismon. If you're Greek, I apologize for my trans, yeah, pronunciation of that. Uh, we see this word in, in other places as well. Um, one example is where Jesus is walking down the beach and he's meeting his disciples, or some of his disciples. Um, he sees Peter and Andrew and James and John and they're, they're at their fishing boats because they're fishermen and they're, they're working on their nets. And, and the word there uh, is translated sometimes as, as cleaning their nets, sometimes it's translated as mending their nets, but it's that same Greek word, katardismon, and uh, it means to get something ready for use, prepare something for use or for action. Um, and in some translations of... of the passage we're looking at today, it actually uses the word equip, which, which I think fits, fits best uh, in the context of what, of what Paul is saying here. So we're being equipped for action by the word of God as a church. And that action is to live out God's word. James chapter 1 says, don't just listen to the word, but do what it says. Our natural response to hearing the word of God should be to live the word of God. Uh, and so we learn, from, we learn from the word so we can go out and, and live the word, but not by our own strength, because it's the word of God that changes us. So as we submit ourselves to learning about the word of God, in whatever place that is, and whoever it is that's unpacking that for us, as we submit ourselves to the word of God, we are changed. And the Holy Spirit empowers us in living a Christ-centered life. And in the context of today's passage, living a Christ-centered life is about us using the spiritual gifts that we've been given. And I think that there are two clues in this passage of Scripture that show us that this is, this is about spiritual gifts. Uh, right at the beginning of this passage, in verse 7, which we already looked at, uh, it says that we have each been apportioned different gifts. So when it says each, it's talking about each person, about all of us. So the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and the, the, the teachers and the evangelists, it's, we, we can assume from that first, that first sentence that it's not just going to be about that, that we're going to be talking about all the gifts. And also, if we kind of cheat a little bit and go to the next phrase in the sentence, we can already see that whatever we are being equipped to do, it is for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And that language should be familiar to us because we see that language in lots of places in the New Testament, and we often see that language in the context of talking about spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. A very similar language is in this passage. And also in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul urges us to excel in gifts that are going to build up the church. So we are being equipped by God's word in order to live out God's word, by using our spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. That's the action that we are being prepared for as we learn from God's word about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. As we are being transformed by the word of God, we are being transformed to live out his word using our spiritual gifts to build up the body. Maybe you're not aware of what your spiritual gifts are. That's uh, something that you need to pursue. We need to understand that more. And that's maybe for another sermon, or maybe if that's something that you are wrestling with, come and talk to one of the pastors. 
We can, we can talk about that. We can prayerfully explore that with you. But what I can tell you today is that if you are a follower of Christ, if you have given your life to Christ and put your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins, then you have been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that is in us is in you. And you have been given unique gifts. Absolutely. You've been given unique gifts uh, to serve the body of Christ. Special abilities like teaching or encouraging, giving, leading, knowledge, mercy, healing, helping, and that's just to name a few. The lists of, of uh, gifts in the New Testament are not meant to be exhaustive. There's many, many ways in which you might be being, or which you have been gifted to serve the body of Christ. But the one thing that all of our gifts have in common is that they are to be administered with the love of Christ, not for our benefit, not for our glory, but for the good of others and for the glory of Christ. It is no accident that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right after Paul explains about spiritual gifts, he goes into a long discourse about what love is, because to honor Christ with our gifts requires us to love each other selflessly. Just imagine something. Imagine if all of us were consistently seeking to minister to one another with genuine Christ-like love, as we see in 1 Corinthians 13. Being patient with one another, being kind, not envying one another, not boasting, not being proud, not self-seeking, being slow to anger, keeping no records of wrongs. And imagine that not just with the people that are easy to get along with, imagine that with the people who are the toughest to get along with in your life. There's a book that we read together as a staff this year that I really, really liked. It's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, and it's called Life Together. And in that, in that book, uh, Bonhoeffer says that true, real Christian community, in some ways, real Christian community starts after we've annoyed each other. It starts after uh, we've hurt each other. Uh, because how we show love to each other, how we show forgiveness to each other in times of difficulty or in times of conflict is a big part of what it means to be built up in being Christ-like. That is God doing his work. That is God doing his work in us. And imagine how truly loving each other, everyone, selflessly, could change all of our relationships in the church. Imagine that. And as we imagine that, we get to uh, start to get a, a new picture of what God's design is for building up the body of Christ. And that's, that's where we're at with step three of the sentence. The next step says, so that the body of Christ will be built up. So we are being prepared for works of service so that the body of Christ will be built up. As we obediently live out the word of God in our lives, living as scripture calls us to live, loving each other with the spiritual gifts we have been given, as we care for one another, as we encourage one another, as we help one another in times of crisis, as we pour ourselves into each other's lives, we're going to know each other better. We're going to love each other more. And our relationships are going to deepen. And that in itself is God-honoring. That, that in itself is a point all unto itself. Uh, Jesus says, just as I have loved you, love one another. So when we show love to one another selflessly, that's, that's worship already, right there. That's, that's, honoring, that's honoring God. But there's even more than that. Because as we grow in our knowledge of the word... And as we grow in our selflessness in our relationships, there's a new potential for something else, and that is that we're going to grow in Christ together. 
in at least, at least three different ways, probably lots more. But the first one is that we're going to show Christ to one another as we love each other selflessly and we use our spiritual gifts to love each other. We're going to see Christ in each other. We're going to see what it means to be Christ-like. About a month and a half ago, and most of you already know this, but my dad had a heart attack when they were, my, my parents were on vacation, and they were down in Tennessee, and so my sister and I flew down there. And during the course of that week, um, I received so many emails and phone calls from people in this church family. Many of them were saying that they were praying for us. Many, some were offering financial help. There were some that were offering to get on a plane and fly to Tennessee so they could help me drive my parents' motorhome back. I saw a lot of Christ-likeness in our church family that week. Um, and that encourages. That's, that's what living out the word of God is in each other's lives. We see Christ. The word of God is all about Christ from start to finish. And when we see each other living Christ-like lives towards us, and we do that with each other, we're going to grow together. Secondly, we will speak Christ to one another. Ultimately, our spiritual gifts have been given to encourage one another in our faith and in our walk with Christ. And so as our relationships deepen, and as we continue to be equipped by the word of God, we will find it more and more natural to speak God's truth to one another. Because you know this, it takes a certain, it takes a certain uh, depth of relationship, it takes a certain safety in relationship uh, where, it's, where it's okay for us to speak hard things to each other. Um, Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we're living in a way that's not honoring Christ. And we need our Christian brothers and sisters to say, to speak the word of God to us and to correct us sometimes. Uh, and, and that's a hard thing. That's, that's a vulnerable thing. But as we are caring for each other selflessly, if, if that's how we're going to be loving each other, and if we're going to be using our spiritual gifts to do that selflessly, and if we're going to be growing in the word of God together, then those relationships are going to deepen to something that, is big enough to hold difficulty, that's big enough to hold hard words, that's safe enough to do that. And then there's, there's room for vulnerability and, and God honoring honesty with each other. Third, as we love each other well, and as our relationships deepen as a result, we're going to enjoy Christ together. We're going to Enjoy Christ together, uh, that's, a, that's, a huge, that's a huge thing. I've got some friendships that, that I might get a text in the middle of the day, uh, and the text only is about, this is what God did today. Praise God for what he did today. Uh, some of our friendships can get to this point where, where all that we're doing is, is celebrating the Lord and getting excited about who God is, getting excited about his forgiveness, getting excited about what he's doing in each other's lives. And celebrating that. Let's let our relationships within the church be based on the enjoyment of Christ. And as all of this happens, we are being transformed. Not for our glory, but for the glory of Christ. This is what it means to be built into a holy temple of God's praise. To grow together in worship of him. This is how the body of Christ is designed to be built up. Built up towards the goal of this sentence. And the goal is the last part of the sentence. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let's go back to the, the ripples in the pond. We start with God's word, dropped in the middle of the pond, and the ripples that go out, we learn how to live out his word with each other, loving one another with spiritual gifts, and as a result, 
growing in our faith and growing in our knowledge of, of Christ. Last week, Terry talked about experiential knowledge, that if we look at what that word means in Scripture, experiential knowledge, we experience, we experience Christ together as we grow this way. And as we grow in our faith and our experiential knowledge of Christ, we will grow to become more honoring of God, more genuinely Christ-like in every aspect of our life, and that is what maturing is, becoming more Christ-centered and reflecting Him more consistently, not just individually, but as the body of Christ, and that is how the whole pond is filled with ripples. That is what it means to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, together and not individually, and not by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, through whom we have been given gifts with which to serve each other. In some ways, in some ways, the church is like a really big jigsaw puzzle. God has painted this amazing picture. He's made this picture that is in honor of him. Except for he hasn't given any of us all of the pieces. He's given us different pieces. And you've got unique things that Christ has given you through the Holy Spirit that I need in my life. And I've got unique things that Christ has given me through the Holy Spirit that you need in your life. And in order for us to, to have this painting that is, that is glorifying God all at once, we need to be growing together. That's God's design. And it's so different than, I think, what the Western culture is, uh, where we are, we are silos, we are individually growing in Christ. That's not God's design. Our, his design is for us to grow in Christ together. And all of a sudden, that makes relationships way more important. All of a sudden, that makes it really important that we grow together that we become close to one another, that we pour, each other, pour ourselves into each other's lives. That becomes incredibly important because we need each other's pieces for the puzzle. We need the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given each other so that we can grow together and mature in Him. And maybe you've come across people in your lives that say, I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm happy to follow Christ, but I don't need to do that in the context of the church. And when we look at it, in view of this scripture, that doesn't make any sense at all. In order for us to grow in Christ, we need to be doing it together. It's kind of like saying, I'm going to fly to India, but I don't need an airplane. I'm just going to do it by myself. And that's uh, it's goofy, really. It's, that's not how it's designed. Years ago, I watched a movie, uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. I think it's 15 years old, maybe 20 years old. And the main character is Mr. Holland. He's a band teacher. A band teacher in a small school in a small town. But he also has aspirations of something much more. He's a composer. And he's, he's writing this, this composition, this, this orchestral composition. And the movie, it starts at the beginning of his career. So when he's a brand newly married uh, young man, this is his first, first teaching job, he's in a school. And it goes all the way through to his retirement. And the whole time, he, he really wants to be a famous composer. The whole time he's, he's got these aspirations to be something else, but he, you know, circumstances are such that he never leaves. He, for 30 years or whatever it is, he's pouring himself into the lives of these, of these students and teaching them. And then at the end, because of budget cuts or whatever, the, the school announces that they're going to be cutting the band program. And this is tremendously discouraging for Mr. Holland. He's, he's given his life to this. Um, and then right at, right at the end of the movie, he gets called to the gym, right? If you've seen this, he gets called to the gymnasium and he goes into the gymnasium and it's full of people. It's full of people and on the stage are all of these musicians. All of them have been his students. And, and they're all different ages because he's been teaching for 30 years. 
And before they, they play the song that they're going to play, uh, one of them stands up, and she is now the senator of the state. And she introduces this song by saying, Mr. Holland, we know that you never became the famous composer you dreamed of being. But don't you see it today? Your great composition is what you did with us, your students. Mr. Holland, look around you. We are your great opus. We are the music of your life. And then they played his song with him directing. <laughs> I, uh, I was writing this sermon in McDonald's this week, because that's what I do. And, uh, <laughs> and I had tears in my eyes thinking about this movie, and it's just a movie. But just picture this. Picture this, this, this man who is hearing this song that he wrote for the first time, ever played by an orchestra, and it's being played by students that he loved and students that he taught, and it's being played as a tribute and a thank you to him. What a, what a powerful picture that is. And that's what Ephesians 4, verse 7 to 13 is about. We are the workmanship of God, created to join together to be and to play the music of Jesus Christ. The score that we are playing is from the Word of God, and as we grow in maturity, we're going to play that music better. We're going to play it more cohesively. All the different parts, we're all, we're all different parts of the orchestra. We've been given ability to play different instruments with different gifts. We're going to play this music more beautifully, and in honor of Him who saved us when we could not save ourselves who created us into a people by his own design and who allows us to have the joy of playing the song of Christ together. That is what life is for. Christ being honored by us, his church, not just individuals, but collectively as a holy temple that he has created for his glory. Uh, if you could just go to the next slide. Next, next week, Doug's going to be preaching on the next, the next passage, and he's going to be talking about a continuum. And we've seen some of it before. Uh, a continuum of, of maturity uh, in Christ, of spiritual maturity. Um, and it, it starts off with spiritual infancy, and the other end of the continuum is, is maturity in Christ. And all of us are on that journey. If, if you've given your life to Christ, you are somewhere, somewhere on that journey. And the part that I want to point out now is, is, is the, the part that goes from community to koinonia. Now, koinonia, I'm going to get this right, koinonia is is a, um, a collective bond for the united purpose of honoring Christ. Koinonia, really, is relationships where Christ is the center, where we meet together with the intentional purpose of encouraging each other in the Lord, honoring the Lord, and celebrating what the Lord is doing. Koinonia is relationship where the intent is to help each other grow in Christ together. And that might be what you experience in a life group, that might be what you experience in something very informal, meeting with friends that you have. That might be something that, that you experience uh, in various collections of people like that, that you know. But the intention, the intention is, in a, in a group where it's matured to a point of koinonia, is that we are encouraging, encouraging each other in the Lord. And, well, first of all, tune in next week for more about that. Doug's going to talk about that. But I'd like to leave you with... Uh, with, with, with some thoughts. Uh, perhaps God's gifted you with opportunities of influence, uh, either in this church or in other places, uh, where you're a leader in one way or another, and you have the opportunity to unpack Scripture with, with people. Take every opportunity that you have. We want to be a church of people equipping people, equipping people, equipping people uh, to grow in Christ. 
That's what this is, that's what this is for. And so every opportunity you have, whether you have giftings in teaching or not, it's just like evangelism. Uh, we're all called to, to, to share God's word with people. Some, some have been gifted in certain ways in doing that, but any opportunity that you have uh, to sit with somebody with an open Bible and talk about the Bible, take that opportunity. I, for, for me, that means with worship team practice on Saturday, not just to talk about songs, not just to practice music, but to look at the scripture that we're looking at the next day and say, this is why we're playing the songs that we're playing. For me, it means when I get together with people who are involved in our caregiving ministry, not just to talk about, about specific needs, but to open up the Bible and talk about, and talk about God and his word. And whatever that means for you, take every opportunity that you have. Second thing I'd like to leave you with is we've all been given different spiritual gifts. Um, and some may seem more immediately obvious than others. You might wonder if you've been gifted at all, but you have been. You have been. If you are a believer in Christ and you're, you've given your life to him, you have, you have spiritual gifts. And if you're feeling discouraged because you're not seeing maybe as much, uh, as much fruit in your life as the next person is, maybe it is that you're not using your gifts in the right place, in the, in, in the right way. Uh, and there's a, an exercise um, in a book by uh, Don Cousins that I read recently that I really appreciate. And I won't go into too much detail now, but the idea of it is to prayerfully consider what your spiritual gifts are, to prayerfully consider what your passions are, to think about recent times or times in your whole life where you have most been excited about what God is doing and you've most seen him working in your life. To think about those kinds of times and then, together, get, get, and then get together with friends who, are, well, who love God and who love you and who can help you honestly discern uh, based on all of those things. What's the best place for you to be serving? Because it's not that we haven't been given gifts. Um, it's perhaps that we need to be finding the place where we are most useful using our gifts. Also, uh, try to be conscious about the degree to which you are genuinely loving in a way that is Christ-like, especially those who are hardest to love. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 is a, it's a beautiful passage, and it's a harsh one. Uh, I recently preached at my cousin's wedding and, and, and invited everybody there to, to, to treat that passage as a prayer. Lord, help me to be patient. Help me to be kind. Help me to be not self-seeking. Help me not to be proud. Help me not to keep any records of wrongs. You know, we, we, it's, a, it's a beautiful diagnostic, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, because it's, it's honest. And that is what Christ-like love looks like. And I invite us, all of us, to check in with that periodically. Are we loving people that way? Number four, seek to build Christian, re- Christian relationships that are deep. Relationships that are characterized by love, forgiveness, and real mutual desire to talk about Christ and what he is doing in your lives. Seek koinonia. And if, if you don't have that, maybe you're new uh, to the church, maybe you're new to, to the faith, and you don't have those kinds of connections yet, I, I encourage you to seek those out. And maybe it's not that you're new. Maybe, you know, some of us have a harder time connecting than others. And that's okay. We're all, we're all different. If you're not connected in such a way that you've got people with whom you can mutually build each other up in Christ and you're having a hard time finding a way to find that, maybe come talk to, to me or to, to Terry or to Doug or to one of the deacons in our church. Uh, maybe we can talk about how to, how to connect you with somebody. Because this is, this is vital. This is, a, 
this isn't the sideline of faith. This is, this is how we are meant to honor Christ together. And finally, um, I want to talk about our building project for just a second. Uh, we're, we've been talking a lot lately about building a building. And it really does seem like God is leading us in that direction. That we're going to be building a, a new church building out on McGilvery. And uh, what I love about our building project right now is the, is the mission statement. The mission statement is this. Using God's provision to help our people nurture followers of Jesus Christ. Using God's provision to help our people nurture followers of Jesus Christ. I think that if we took that sentence that we were looking at today, the big sentence from this passage, and we condensed it down as far as we could, it might look a lot like what our mission statement is for the building pro- project. And I'm glad for that. Because we're, we're building a building so that it will help us to help people equip each other. That's what this building is for. And we've been going through a process as leaders and as, uh, as staff and, and other groups as well, talking about why are we building a building. And this is why we're building a building. It's not just because of, not just because of having a full sanctuary and a full parking lot. Those are real things. But there's other ways that we could, we could accommodate that. But what we need is a building that helps us better to help people to nurture each other in Christ. Uh, and that's, that's why we're building a building. And I'm, I'm really glad for the direction that is going. I'm going to call up the worship team. That's always fun for me to say. Come on up. And while they're coming up, uh, just to point out that a lot of what we've been talking about this morning has been church-focused. It's been inward-focused. It's been about how we are building each other up. But there's an outward component to this as well. Because in John chapter 17... And there's other places too. But in John chapter 17, just before Christ is crucified, he's praying. He's praying to the Father. He's praying for us. He's praying for future believers. We've got, it's kind of cool. We've got Jesus praying for us. And he's praying that we will be united and that because we're united, other people will see Christ. They will, they will see us loving each other and they will know Christ. Um, that is, that is a, a huge blessing in 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 us being built up together as the church. So we're going we're gonna to sing a song because um, I ultimately just go back to what I know. So let's stand up together. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray Walk with each other. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity will one day be restored.